0: Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 111 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Macagliano of the USA Today Network, and that intro track that you just heard to begin this week's episode comes from Jason from Seattle. Jason tells me that he's lived in Seattle since 1998, but he stays connected with the Rangers. ...through this podcast and through our coverage, which I absolutely love to hear. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Jason for submitting that track. That is actually our final track of all of the ones that were submitted once this process began. You guys might remember I had let you know that my laptop basically crashed and died on me... ...and I lost a bunch of files in the process during the season. And so many of you were so kind and generous with your time... And reached out and and offered to help come up with a new track. Next thing I knew, I think we ended up with over a dozen of them that we've used in the last handful of episodes. So you guys have been awesome. And if I missed one, if you sent me one that you haven't heard on any episode for some reason, please reach out and let me know. I'd be happy to get to it. But I'm pretty sure we've gotten to all of them now that we've heard Jason's. So the next step in the process here is... I'm going to have to narrow these down somehow, and I'm going to solicit input from all of you. Might do a Twitter poll or something along those lines. So if any of the tracks that you've heard in these last few months jumped out to you as your favorite, please, please let me know, because I definitely want feedback from you guys before we make this final decision. And like I said, we'll probably figure out some kind of a polling mechanism where maybe we narrow it down to our top three, four or five and then let you guys vote. From there, But I don't want to digress too much. I told you guys last week I'd be back when there was news and here we are less than a week later and there sure was some news over the weekend. The New York Rangers announced Saturday that they have mutually parted ways with head coach Gerard Gallant. That gives us a lot to discuss on this week's episode. I didn't want to wait too long. I wanted to get this out there pretty quickly. Early in the week. Another thing that I want to do as part of this episode is have a guest come on who could really help us size up what the coaching landscape looks like around the NHL, what some of the options might be for the Rangers, some of the more high profile options, as well as maybe some of the under the radar options. And a person who, to me, is as knowledgeable about this stuff as anybody around the league is Emily Kaplan of ESPN. So I reached out to Emily, and even though she's super busy right now covering the playoffs, very graciously agreed to come on today. So we're recording this on a Tuesday. You're going to hear this on Wednesday morning, and it should be a good one. We spoke a lot last week about why I thought Gallant and the Rangers parting ways was a distinct possibility. Now we could debate the parting ways thing, which side had more say in that ultimate decision. Obviously it was Chris Drury and the Rangers. You guys heard clips that I played last week from Gerard Gallant at breakup day where it sort of raised some eyebrows that he came out and spoke with his job status kind of being up in the air. Some people interpreted that as a good sign, but I think a lot of us were skeptical and Gerard Gallant sensing that skepticism took issue with it and kind of lashed back and made it clear that he felt like he had done a good enough job to stick around and made it clear that he'd like to stick around. At least that's what it sounded like with the way that he was adamantly defending himself. So obviously you feel, and you can kind of come to the conclusion that Gallant felt like he deserved to stick around, but obviously the Rangers felt differently. And as I told you guys last week, in my opinion and my belief based on many conversations over the course of the last few months is that the groundwork for this decision was laid earlier in the season. We've identified that late November, early December range when the Rangers were really struggling, they had gotten off to that slow start. We talked about that Chicago Blackhawks game where they kind of hit rock bottom and Jacob Truba threw the helmet and lashed out at the bench and Gerard Gallant seemed like he was searching for answers and searching for ways to wake this team up. I have told you guys repeatedly, and I'll repeat it one more time here, that at the time, the Rangers were giving serious consideration to whether they might change coaches during the season. They put out feelers with other candidates. I do believe, and I've heard this from multiple people, that Barry Trotz was the guy who they, I think, tried to at least have some preliminary discussions with before he ended up taking the job to run the ship in Nashville, where he's now working as the team president. So I think there was this feeling that whether it was part being they weren't crazy about any in-season hire they might be able to make, but then also I think the bigger factor was from that point forward, the Rangers turned the season around. They ended up winning seven in a row after that loss against the Blackhawks, and they were really in pretty solid playoff position for the rest of the season. They had some ups and downs, but for the most part, if you look at their record from December on, it was one of the best in the NHL. So that certainly saved Gerard Gallant, at least for the time being. But for him to make it beyond this season, it was always going to be contingent on how the playoffs went. And then, of course, when we see what the Rangers did at the trade deadline by making such splashy win-now moves by acquiring Patrick Kane, acquiring Vladimir Tarasenko, guys that in all likelihood were only rentals and will not be here next season, that upped the ante even further. That raised the expectations on this Rangers group and on Gerard Gallant even higher And then, of course, we saw what happened in the playoffs where the Rangers fell flat, lost four of the final five games to blow a 2-0 series lead against the New Jersey Devils, and never really seemed to find their footing after getting off to a strong start in that series. The the way the series went definitely cost Gallant. That was a big part of this, I believe. Although, again, I think that these thoughts had been festering for a while. No matter what happened, if the Rangers didn't make it out of that first round series, I think it was going to be really, really difficult for Gerard Gallant to survive that with the knowledge that the Rangers had already been thinking they might need a change during the season, that that thought had already kind of been floating around in Chris Drury's head. I made this analogy on another podcast that I went on on Monday with the Blue Shirts Breakaway guys, where I said, once you start flirting with other girls and thinking that there might be a hotter date for you to take to the dance, a lot of times there's no turning back from there. So this was clearly months in the making, but the final straw was the loss to the Devils. And Gallant ends up being the primary fall guy from that, and that might not be entirely fair. The players played a huge role in this. I would certainly argue a bigger role than the coaching With all the guys that we talked about on last week's episode who did not have great series, whether it's Artemi Panarin, Mika Zabanajad, Patrick Kane, Adam Fox, a lot of the younger players, especially Alexi Lafreniere, with all of those guys not playing their best in this series, very few coaches were going to be able to overcome that. But there were definitely concerns about Gallant's inability to adapt once that series began to turn in the devil's favor he pushed back you heard it last week very much so about the notion that he did not make adjustments to me watching the games i didn't see a whole lot change the rangers did change their lineup a little bit going into i believe it was game six but those lineup changes didn't really make a huge difference, and that was really the only time that he tried to tweak anything from a lineup perspective. But just from a style of play perspective, it seemed like Once the Devils started upping the puck pressure and making it more difficult for the Rangers to execute breakouts or to get into the offensive zone on their entries, once they started clogging things up and making it more difficult for the Rangers to have possession, we talked about how much possession and speed were big parts of what the Devils were able to effectively do in that series, it just seemed like Gallant didn't have much of a counter move. And while he argued against that, it's clear that... I wasn't the only one thinking it. You guys weren't the only ones thinking it. There were people in the organization who felt like the in-game strategy, the lack of adjustments, the lack of adaptability in his system cost the Rangers in that series. And I think quite frankly, got stale over the course of the season with the players. I think for a lot of the players, initially when he was hired, his hands-off demeanor was very freeing for them but I think once they got into the second season with him and they needed a coach who was going to get a little more creative about finding ways in particular for this offense to open things up and for the skill and talent that the Rangers possessed to really shine, it just seemed like they were never able to get to that level. It just seemed like they were a little stagnant in their growth under this coach. They were really good in the first season under him. I think they took a step back pretty clearly in the second season under him, and obviously we see that they don't go nearly as far in the playoffs. His system is a pretty simplistic system if you talk to people around the league. It's based on a lot of the principles that most head coaches in the NHL harp on. Gallant used to always say to us, What I want is the same thing that every other coach wants. He wants his team to work hard. He wants an aggressive forecheck. He wants a lot of traffic around the net and a lot of shots at the net, a lot of volume shooting, putting pressure on the opposing defense and the opposing goalie. And he wanted the Rangers to play that direct north-south style dump pucks when you have to and avoid the east-west passes that can result in costly turnovers. But If you look at the personnel on this roster, the Rangers have a lot of finesse guys who like to try for those cross ice passes and those backdoor passes. And it just seems like the fit wasn't really there and the adaptability to work with those players and get more out of those players wasn't really there. So I think a lot of that played into this decision. It also does sound like the players had some input into this decision. I do believe that Chris Drury was already strongly leaning in the direction of changing coaches. But from what I've heard, it doesn't appear that he met a whole lot of resistance from the players as he gauged their opinions and their feedbacks on what they should do with the coach. I don't know for sure that players came out and said, Yeah, you absolutely need to get rid of him. But I also don't get the sense that a lot of players backed him or stood in his corner or pounded the table saying, this is our guy, we want him to stay. So I think once that materialized and those exit interviews were completed, I think Drury probably felt even more solidified with his decision. And then you factor in the system stuff, you factor in the frustration that I think a lot of players were feeling about the constant line shuffling this season. That was a sense from talking to multiple players over the course of the season. I definitely got the sense there was some eye rolling about there was some frustration regarding there was a little bit of a here we go again vibe every time we showed up at practice and there were new lines to me in the four seasons that I've covered this team. We saw more different line combinations and more constant juggling this year under Galant than we had in any of my previous three seasons on the beat. And I think that war on players and it got to a point where they kind of just shrugged it off and were like, listen, it is what it is. We've been through this before, but I do also think that they felt like there were limitations from a chemistry standpoint, as far as what they were able to build because they were showing up each day and not knowing what those line combinations were going to look like. And then we've talked about the accountability stuff as well. I do believe that there were points during the season, especially around that early December period that we've talked about when Gallant was questioned publicly by the media about what was going wrong, about how he would turn things around, and there was a lot of excuse making. He would point at the schedule and all of the back-to-backs that the Rangers were playing. He would say things like, oh, I watched all these other teams and they're having inconsistencies as well. Look, it's not just us. He would often not single out individual players, but say things like, hey, I'm doing my job as a coach. They got to execute better. And I think that all of those things factored into this feeling of, hey, you're the head coach. Even if all of these things aren't your fault, you have to have that responsibility factor. You have to be the voice out in front, putting it on your shoulders in some ways to take the pressure off the players and to show accountability to the fans. And I think that there was a feeling around the organization that there was a lot of excuse making in those situations. Maybe, in part, you have to wonder, did Gallant, have this feeling in his gut that there was a possibility that he could get fired if the season didn't go well. And he was trying to get out in front of it and defend himself. This is a guy who had been fired in three other places. So you could understand him being a little sensitive to that. And maybe that played into some of that deflecting that we saw, but that was also something that my understanding is did not sit well with certain people in the organization. So you add in all of that stuff and that I think is the layers of what happened here and what led to this coaching change happening. Gallant, you have to give him credit for helping make the Rangers a playoff team. I know there's a lot of other things that you could point to. Obviously, Igor Shosturkin is at the top of that list. The Rangers have had outstanding goaltending for the last couple of years. And that, I believe, is the number one reason that they have been in the position that they've been in. But Gallant was the guy at the helm when they finally ended that playoff drought, it had been five years since their last playoff appearance. They were gangbusters last year during the regular season, I think arrived ahead of schedule in the minds of a lot of people. And I think that has to be part of his legacy. I, we can nitpick a lot of stuff, but I think you've heard me offer some pretty harsh criticisms here. I think some pretty valid criticisms here about the system and the line changes and the deflecting of blame when times were getting tough. I think those were all pretty valid things as well as the in-game adjustments that we talked about in that series with the Devils. So I certainly had my doubts about whether this was going to be the guy to really get the Rangers to that championship level, but he clearly was capable of getting them to that playoff level and he, he leaves with the best points percentage of any coach in franchise history who coached for multiple seasons. The best is Mike Keenan, but he only had the one season, the 94 championship season. But Gallant, as far as guys that coached multiple seasons here in New York for the Rangers, has the best points percentage in franchise history. So obviously it wasn't all bad. I don't want to sit here and completely trash the guy on his way out the door because a lot of good things happened while he was here. But Chris Drury ultimately decided that he wasn't the guy who was going to win a Stanley Cup for this organization. And that is the point that they're at. I think that is the overwhelming message here, if there's any message as we look ahead. The Rangers have now made the playoffs for two years in a row. One of those seasons, they made it to the Eastern Conference Final. They are loaded up with a lot of high-caliber players, guys who, at least from a talent perspective, believed that they could get it done this year and made a lot of people feel like this was one of the better rosters in the NHL. So now... The next coach who comes in here, it's championship or bust. If you just make it back to the playoffs, that's not going to be good enough because that's what Gerard Gallant just did for the Rangers. So if you want to get back to the playoffs, you probably could have done that with him on the bench. The question moving forward is who can get them to that championship level? And it's not a very easy question to answer. I can run you guys through with some of the initial things that I'm hearing and some candidates and things along those lines. I wrote a pretty extensive story about it that went up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers on Sunday. And it laid out a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing. It dove into a lot of the different candidates that I think could be considered in the coming weeks or even in the coming months. But I can run through some of it right here with you guys as well, because obviously this is a fluid situation. This is a situation where things can kind of change at any moment, although I do think the jury is going to take a patient approach here. I should note that right at the top. We spoke to him briefly, by the way, on Saturday after the Gallant news came out. He was very vague as far as what he's looking for in a new coach, what the timetable is for a new coach, what led to the Gallant decision, although I think we've pretty effectively laid out a lot of that stuff. So far in this episode, but he did not really go into much detail as far as what he's looking for. What I can tell you, I think a lot of people are expecting around the league is that because of that win now mentality that I just touched on, and because even though the Rangers have some young talent on this roster, a lot of their highest paid players, a lot of their core players are in that 30 plus range. Artemi Panarin, Mika Zabanajad, Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocheck. A lot of these guys, their window to win is now. Their primes are right now, and for that reason, multiple people, multiple sources have said to me in the last week or so that they believe the Rangers are going to begin their coaching search by looking at the experienced guys who are available. That They find it hard to believe, and again, multiple people have said this to me, they find it hard to believe that the Rangers would hand the keys to a newbie, to a guy who has never coached at the NHL level or been a head coach at the NHL level before. Now, I think as we go through this list, you might find yourself wondering if that might be the better route to go, because I don't think a lot of people are in love with any of these candidates who we're about to go over. But let's let's dive in here and just go over some of, some of the basics and some of the key names I think you're going to be hearing a lot in the coming weeks. First off, Joel Quinville. We talked about him at length on last week's episode and the controversy that would come with making a hire like that. It's interesting because even before the Rangers were knocked out by the Devils, a lot of the whispers that were happening around that series were, hey, the Rangers might be interested in Quinville. Hey, if he can get reinstated, the Rangers might want to give him a hard look. I know I heard it. I know other people heard it. I saw the likes of Darren Drager putting it out there. And I think a lot of people who cover the league were hearing similar things. And then all of a sudden it quieted down. And I definitely should give credit to Larry Brooks of the New York Post. He was the first one to report it on Saturday evening that, It sounds like now the Rangers aren't considering him, and that's pretty much what I've been hearing in the last 24, 48 hours as well. So I don't know if something changed, if maybe the public backlash gave the Rangers second thoughts, or if maybe the initial rumors were overblown. I'm not sure exactly what changed there, but it sounds like at least for the time being, Quinville is not a guy the Rangers are giving very serious consideration to. I can also tell you what I've reported, and that is that Daryl Sutter, who won two Stanley Cup championships with the LA Kings in the past 10 years and then was recently fired by the Calgary Flames, that he is a guy it sounds like the Rangers do not want to touch right now. It sounds like things got pretty ugly behind the scenes in Calgary at the end of his tenure, and he was a really unpopular coach among the players there, and I don't think he would be very well received by the players in New York if he were to be hired. So I've had multiple sources tell me to pretty much cross his name off the list right now. So Quinville and Sutter, it doesn't sound like it's happening. I would cast those guys aside for now. The other, I hate to keep calling them recycled coaching names, but that's essentially what they are, are Peter LaViolette, who won a Stanley Cup championship with the Carolina Hurricanes back in 2006. He's the eighth winningest coach in NHL history. He's had a lot of success over many, many years of coaching, but he's also a guy who kind of flamed out a little bit at the end with the Washington Capitals here. They missed the playoffs for the first time in several years this season, and he was fired there. So I think some people might wonder, is he the most exciting choice? Is he a little bit stale? Is he a little bit past his coaching prime? You know, would he feel similar to Gallant in the sense of this is a guy who's been around for a long time and has a lot of experience, but might not be bringing a whole lot of fresh and new ideas? Those are legitimate questions. But I can also tell you that I've had a couple people say to me, he feels like a safer choice. He feels like a guy the Rangers might seriously consider. So LaViolette is a name that is definitely on my list. Bruce Boudreau is another guy who it sounds like might get some consideration He's never won a Stanley Cup, but he's coached for like 17 or 18 years, something like that. And before this past season, when he was fired by the Vancouver Canucks in January, when they were not doing well and had a losing record at the time, he had never had a losing record in any of his previous seasons, which is pretty impressive. And he's, I think, a pretty personable guy. We've seen him do some work as an analyst since he got fired. And I think a lot of people really around the league Think highly of him. Think he's a good guy. Players respect him. Players seem to like dealing with him. So that might work in his favor a little bit. But again, he's another guy you wonder how many fresh new ideas is he bringing to the table? And a guy that multiple people have told me not to sleep on, and this one might be a little bit more surprising, is Mike Babcock. He won at least one, it might have been two Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings, And his coach for a really long time ended up with the Toronto Maple Leafs had some successful seasons there, but ultimately got fired. I think it was in 2019. And after he got fired, some stories began to come out with players accusing him of bullying tactics might be one way to phrase it, or just kind of being for lack of a better term, a hard ass, a disciplinarian, a guy who might try to play certain mind games with his players, sort of a, a old school guy who I think some of the new age players felt like did not see eye to eye with them, did not relate to them very well, and probably pushed a little too hard in certain situations. Now, he's come out since then. He's kind of been apologetic, but he's also kind of defended himself. So you wonder, with him being out of the league for over four years now, has he learned his lessons or has he been out of the game too long for him to really have adapted? But it does sound like that's a guy that maybe the Rangers will entertain the idea of. So we can put those guys, LaViolette, Boudreau, and Babcock, in this bin of guys that have been there, done that, might feel like a little bit of a safer choice for the Rangers, but also might feel a little unexciting for the fan base and might feel, quite frankly, like just hiring another guy like Gerard Gallant, who maybe doesn't view the game in a more innovative, creative way and maybe a little more stuck in the past. So with that all being said and us feeling like, okay, none of these guys stand out to us as a clear choice or an obvious guy that you'd want to pursue, who is? Well, a lot of people I know think really highly of Mike Sullivan, who's currently the head coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I do believe that if he were to shake loose, he would be the Rangers' number one choice. I think he would be the guy. He is a coach who's had a lot of success. He's won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but also talking to people around the league. I think he does bring more of a progressive approach. I think he does a really good job, from my understanding, of balancing some of the evolving ways of the game and being a good in-game manager and being a guy who can adapt and being a guy who has kept a Penguins team while it's aging afloat and has still made them a very competitive team the last couple of years. And he's also a guy who I think a lot of people believe in the right ways will hold his players accountable. So he seems to be a really good balance, not quite as antiquated as some of the other guys that we've spoken about. But the problem is he's still under contract with the Penguins. And even though the Penguins just fired their team president and their general manager. The expectation is that this new ownership group wants to keep Sullivan in place. And one source put it to me this way. He said, he thinks it's only about a 5% chance that Sullivan isn't back with the Penguins next season. So you don't feel great about that. You certainly can't bank on that happening. So Sullivan is a little bit more of a pipe dream right now. Then you got to pivot to, okay, if none of these guys who have coached at the NHL level Are appealing. If Drury goes through these interview process, he looks at a few of these guys and decides that he's not crazy about any of those options. Where does he go from there? And I think there's a lot of curiosity right now surrounding Chris Knobloch. Knobloch is the coach for the Hartford Wolfpack. That's the Rangers AHL affiliate. He's a guy that Chris Drury handpicked himself to run that operation for Hartford. And he's a guy that has had a a lot of success, especially this season. You look at that team. I'd gone up there and visited with them in December. And at the time they weren't playing very well. Their record was not great. They were barely scoring. There was a lot of issues with that team. But Navlock said to me at the time, I think our message is starting to get through. I think some of the changes that we've been trying to make are really starting to set in. And I see this thing turning in the right direction. And lo and behold, The Wolfpack went on a great run in the second half of the season, easily one of the hottest teams in that league. And now they've been tearing through the playoffs. They've advanced to the third round of the AHL playoffs. They're five and one so far. They're playing right now for the Atlantic division finals with a chance to advance even further in this AHL tournament. So a lot of things are going really well for them. And you look at that roster. It's not a roster that's loaded with really big name prospects or, high-end kind of guys, but Knobloch is finding a way to get the most out of them right now. And I think that is certainly opening some eyes. And this is a guy who the impression has always been the Rangers picked him because they wanted to groom him for a future role, that they believed that he had the potential to one day be an NHL head coach. So is that time now? That's a legitimate question that a lot of people are asking themselves. Some people have said to me, Going back to those concerns about the Rangers handing over the keys to a win-now roster where the pressure and the expectations are going to be so high, would they be comfortable doing that with a guy like Knobloch? I'm not sure. I honestly have my doubts, but I do believe that if they're going to look at anybody at that minor league level, Knobloch would have to be at the top of the list. And there's at least a decent chance that he's going to end up getting an interview at some point. A few other names I'll just quickly throw out there as far as highly thought of assistance around the league, and I mentioned these in my story. Andrew Brunette, who is a guy that does have one mostly full season of NHL head coaching experience. He took over the Florida Panthers last year when Joel Quinville was let go early in the season after that report came back that identified him as being a part of that Blackhawks scandal. So He helped them win a President's Trophy. They made it into the second round of the playoffs where they kind of went out with a sweep and and didn't play very well there. But he's a guy that I think is definitely going to be getting some interviews around the league. He's currently an assistant with the Devils, which just took it to the Rangers pretty well. I think some people feel like he's really helped Lindy Ruff get that New Jersey Devils team to the level where we see them at right now. So Brunette is a guy to keep in mind. Jim Hiller is an assistant coach for the L.A. Kings that I've been told is very well thought of around the league. Jay Leach is an assistant for the Seattle Kraken. And we see them making some unexpected noise in the playoffs right now. And a lot of times when you see a team sort of come out of nowhere and exceed expectations, people start wondering who is responsible for helping this team pull off this surprise. And I think Jay Leach is an assistant for the Kraken that a lot of people are pointing at. And then the last one who's, who's really intriguing is Spencer Carberry. He's the youngest coaching candidate that I have on this list, only 41 years old, never played in the NHL, but he coached for a long time at the lower levels. He was the AHL coach of the year, I think in 2021. He's been with the Maple Leafs now for the last two seasons and has helped them have one of the best power plays in the league and and has been responsible for coaching a lot of those forwards who, as we know, is a really, really top-notch group of forwards. He's considered a hot candidate. I've actually heard that the Washington Capitals are very interested in him. He's worked in that organization before. So if you're the Rangers and you know that the Capitals are really interested in this guy, I don't think it hurts to give a guy like that an interview before you let him go to one of your division rivals. But those all feel like like relative long shots. You know, I I do believe that, again, the Rangers are going to start by looking at some of those experienced guys and then pivot if they don't like what they're hearing. But I still wonder, given the list of head coaching candidates, which, quite frankly, we feel like is a little bit uninspiring, if they do start to think more outside of the box, if they do go for a hire that's a little more unexpected, and if they do try to find their own version of a John Cooper with Tampa Bay or a Jared Bednar with the Colorado Avalanche. Guys who paid their dues at the lower levels were considered outside of the box, more innovative kind of thinkers in that coaching role. They were given a chance and both of those guys thrived. So might not be easy to just say, okay, we're going to hire a guy from the lower levels and it's going to snap your fingers and work in the way that it did with those guys. But I think that, For the Rangers, it's a really, really weird situation right now because they get rid of Gallant. I think the writing had been on the wall for that for quite some time. But now you feel like, where do they turn from here to find a guy who can get this team to a Stanley Cup championship level? Because I don't know that I feel that there's any really obvious guy out there. And that's what I want to do now is pivot to our next conversation with Emily Kaplan and see if she has any thoughts on who the next candidates might be and who might be a good fit with the Rangers and maybe get into some of these well-known names and also some of the names of the guys that I think we might find a little more surprising, maybe in some ways a little bit more exciting. So let's get to that conversation with Emily right now. Now let's welcome back to the show for the second time, Emily Kaplan from ESPN, who, as I told her when I reached out to ask for this interview, was the first person who came to mind about dealing with this coaching search that the Rangers are now undergoing now that they've decided to move on from Gerard Gallant. And of course, Emily is one of our in one of our favorite cities in the country or in the whole league, Newark, New Jersey, getting ready to cover game four between the Devils and the Hurricanes. So Emily, how is Newark treating you today?
1: You know, I'm completely biased. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. I still rock the 973 Newark area code. So every time I come here, I feel like it is like my God given duty to uh, defend the state in this area. And it's fine. That's all I'll say. It's
0: (laughs) (laughs) fine. When I saw you during the first round, we talked about it. There are some pretty underrated food options there. So that makes me happy, at least. Oh,
1: yeah. Ironbound District, if you want Portuguese food, like there's such cool old school family spots. This brand new Topps Diner, which someone from the Devil's Organization introduced me to. um, Honestly, maybe the most beautiful diner I've ever been to. Just went through like a multi-million dollar renovation. And of course, hobbies, which if you're a Rangers fan, you only go to if you're masochistic and you want to, you know, just feel humiliated by all their signage.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. But their food is really, really good. And of course, we know New Jersey, if they do anything right, it's diners. So yeah, so that's no surprise there. All right. Well, let's dive into it because the last time that we had you on, it was right around that point where I know you and I had both been hearing, among others, that the Rangers were at least considering the idea of a coaching change in season. They got off to that slow start. Things weren't going well. Things really seemed to hit a low point when they lost that game to the Chicago Blackhawks in early December. Everybody remembers that as the the game where Jacob Trouba threw his helmet and barked at the bench. But then they righted the ship after there. They won seven in a row. And from there, it seemed like at least for the time being, Gerard Gallant was safe. But I know it was in the back of my mind all season, I'm sure it was with you as well, that The fact that they had considered a coaching change at that point in the season always made you believe that unless some really good stuff happened in the playoffs this year, that that consideration might creep back into the thought process once the offseason came. And now here we are. So just your overall read, I guess, to start with on the situation and how it went down and whether or not you were surprised at all by the decision for them to move on from Gerard Gallant.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, where the point it got to, I believe it was December, where, you know, they're exploring and asking permission to to speak to Barry Trox as a potential replacement. Um, you know that these seeds have already been planted. You know, this organization under James Dolan can be um, a bit reactionary, I, I think is a, a fair way to say it, maybe a bit of generous way to say it. Um, sometimes irrational or erratic, um, are, are other words that I would use to describe it. Um, and you know, the thing about Gerard Galant is he does come to places and he gets immediate success. But sometimes his style or his messaging um can grow stale on players. And according to the Rangers, when they did bring in players for those exit interviews, that was some of the feedback that they got. But I think this was a decision that probably was made weeks ago. If they got to this point, it didn't. Advance past this round, they were going to look for a new voice in charge. And some of the things they'll be looking for, you know, the tendencies that we do see in coaching hiring is the opposite of what you had. So if you had a player's coach, maybe you go for someone that holds the guys a little more accountable. Um, if you have someone that didn't have the best relationship with a GM or management, maybe you're going to want to find someone that's more in line or aligned with them. So it'll be curious to see which direction they go, especially because this is a team that, you know, is at the end of this rebuild, but is kind of in a, a transition phase because they do have a lot of veteran players and feel like they can win now, but they also have a lot of young players that they're still hoping to develop to get to that level where they can have that sustained line success.
0: You touched on the final straw, I guess, being the way that they went in, out in the playoffs, but this was something that had been marinating, I guess, for a while before then. But just Your read on the series with the Devils, I think the debate that a lot of Rangers fans are having right now is, was it more on a lot of their top players who underperformed in that series, or was there more that Gerard Gallant and the coaching staff could have done to counter what the Devils were doing or snap the Rangers out of it, especially offensively? We saw them really dry up as far as their goal scoring output in the later half of that series. So what was your read on the series and how do you kind of assess what went down?
1: You know, the one thing that I keep hearing is like they didn't make any adjustments. They did make adjustments, right? Like they they completely shifted the lines, jumbled up the lines and also the power play units midway through the series. It just didn't work. Um, You know, there was probably more adjustments that the coaching staff could make. You know, it's kind of funny watching this Knicks series right now because I feel like people are echoing a lot of the same things. And I don't want to group the two together, but, you know, obviously the same ownership group. Um, I I think that the players also just lost some fight. And I felt like the Devils by the end became the hungrier team. I think it's unfortunate when your top paid player, your top paid forward, Artemi Panarin, um, put up the performance that he had. And, you know, the onus has to fall on Artemi, but it's also on the coaching staff for not putting him in positions or being able to reach him to succeed because he's such a dynamic, such an electric player in the regular season has been everything that they've wanted and asked for him since he signed this big free agent contract. But for whatever reason, the last two playoffs has not been able to meet that in the postseason. So I think it is a bit of a combination in both. And in the end of it, you know, I'm still covering this Devils team. And I see the way that they clawed back, too, after falling down 0-2 against the Hurricanes. They're just a hungry team right now that's clicking at the right time. And unfortunately, the Rangers were clicking at the right time. It just felt dead and there was nothing that was able to revive them. All
0: right. I won't pollute the waters with my own opinions or my own reporting or anything like that. I'll just start by throwing it at you. Where do you think the Rangers go next as far as the next coach?
1: Well, you know, I mentioned earlier, kind of alluded to it. Barry Trotz was, you know, the big fish this past year that everybody wanted and they were curious about him. And I do know that they did talk to the Islanders about, you know, is it possible to talk to him in the middle of the season? Because he was still under contract with them. Barry Trotz has a job now. He's in Nashville. He's the GM. He's off limits. You know, I do think that the way that the NHL goes, retreads are very common, but for good reason. You know, Gerard Gallant was a retread. He comes to new opportunities. And as long as you can learn from your past stops and grow and evolve, I'm not necessarily always opposed to it. So you're going to hear names like Peter LaViolette mentioned. You know, he came from many, many different organizations, most recently Washington, and he's a guy with a tendency... Um, to hold players accountable and also get results right away. And I think those two things are really going to pique the interest of the Rangers management group. I think you're also going to start hearing some younger names, you know, some assistants, maybe some coaches in the AHL. Um, You know, we obviously can't go further without talking about Chris Knobloch. He's the guy that's in Hartford, has a very good track record there has worked with a lot of these young players and have helped them develop to get to this point. And that's a model that's worked for some really successful organizations. You look at Tampa Bay and John Cooper came up through Norfolk, um, you know, worked with a lot of the guys that are successful at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jared Bednar, homegrown talent as well. So I think that the Rangers need to take a good look at Knobloch, you know, and if he has a good relationship with Drury, if they see the game the right way, they see the organization the same way, um, you know, he should be a leading candidate there. There's also a lot of young Great names out there. Jay Leach, um, a finalist for the Bruins job. He was uh, the head coach of Providence. He's now an assistant at Seattle. You obviously see what Seattle did. Had a chance to meet uh, Jay personally. I find him to be a very engaging warm dynamic dynamic personality i think he could handle the new york media market very well um and i I think he'd be a name that they would consider another one ryan worsofsky is a a bright young mind he's currently an assistant ironically with david quinstaff in san jose Um, he is going to be a head coach in the league might need a year or two of seasoning but he's another name i would expect on their list i could probably keep babbling maybe Vince, you tell me some names you hear and i can tell you what i've heard about them
0: Well, it's interesting because we're hearing some of the same names, and I know Emily did a really, really in-depth great story where she went over some of the top assistants around the league and who could kind of be next in line, so you could definitely check that one out at ESPN.com. That was before the Rangers had made this coaching change, but I think it's still relevant today. Another name that you had on there who I've heard whispered a little bit is Andrew Brunette, who mm-hmm. was the coach of the Panthers and, and now is in for one year after they got rid of Quinville and now is the assistant with the Devils, who obviously handled the Rangers pretty well in the first round. And uh, another one I've that I've heard, although – I think more just along the lines of a guy who probably will get a job, maybe not necessarily with the Rangers, is Spencer Carberry, who's an assistant with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a very young guy, 41 years old. But he's a guy that I know is really highly thought of. I've actually heard, maybe you could tell me if I'm wrong, a little smoke around him and potentially the Washington Capitals. I believe he has some ties to that organization. So, I mean, I think we're touching on some of the names here, but I'd be curious to get your perspective on this. This – retread trend or recycled coaches trend, whatever you want to call it. You don't want to offend anybody, but it kind of is what it is. You see it, I think in every league, but it seems like even more so in the NHL where teams are sort of reluctant in a lot of situations to try something new. And you just keep seeing the same guys coach at three, four, five different locations. I mean, do you think that that is sort of a lack of Outside the box creative thinking on the part of a lot of these organizations. I mean, how do you interpret that? Like, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? And do you think that a team in a position like the Rangers where obviously they're trying to win right now should be scared off by the idea of a guy who hasn't done the job before?
1: You know, I think there's two things about the NHL I feel pretty strongly about. It is a risk-averse league and it's a copycat league. And that's the reason that you do see so many retreads. Like, okay, we know what this guy is. He's a known commodity. We know when we bring him in, this is what we're getting out of him. Um, I do think more than ever, front offices are diversifying. And it's not just hiring women, hiring minorities, which is happening, but it's just diversity and thought process as well. And I think. Teams are slowly, slowly becoming more open minded of, hey, even though like this guy or gal didn't come up the traditional path that we typically see, maybe their outside experiences are actually an add value to our organization. Now, I think this is happening a lot slower than other sports. And I think that, again, fits into my first statement that the NHL in general is just a risk averse league um a guy like spencer carberry is interesting he did come up through the washington capitals organization um was with the hershey bears their top ahl affiliate that's why you do hear him connected to the capitals because he has that relationship with them um i'm curious where they go because even more so than the rangers um you know they're kind of a team that's trying to retool on the fly um and with that um They also need to maximize the time right now to have with Alex Ovechkin. So they need someone that their veteran leader can listen to. And basically, I think they're just hiring whoever they think can get the most out of Ovi at this stage. So I'm curious to see where that nets out. Uh, What was the other name you mentioned really quickly? Oh, Brunette.
0: Yeah, Brunette. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and I've been in Jersey and I've watched him interact when he took this job in Jersey, everyone was saying about him, you know, he kind of got the raw end of the stick in Florida, the fact that he had so much success there and the GM was like, you know what, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. Obviously worked out with Paul Maurice again, a retread. You knew what you were getting out of him. Um, but Bruno, I mean, his one year of head coaching experience is sterling. He ran a president's trophy team. Yes, they got swept in the second round, but look at all the foundation it built for this year. So I think he's going to get a lot of looks, really warm, engaging personality, has played the game for a long time, will be able to connect with players. Um You know, when he took this job in Jersey, it was kind of as an heir apparent to Lindy Ruff. I don't think anyone expected Lindy Ruff to have the success that he was having. And it was going to be a year of transition and Bruno would probably get the job next year. Well, now they're kind of in a predicament, predicament, right? Because how can you move on from Lindy Ruff when you take the team this far? So um, I do think that would make Bruno or Andrew Burnett a really attractive candidate this cycle for other teams if he does get those head coaching looks.
0: Yeah. As far as the experienced guys are concerned, do you think Laviolette is probably the most likely that the Rangers would consider? Or like, you know, a Bruce Boudreau or Mike Babcock, someone like that? I've heard Daryl Sutter is not going to be an option for them. And I know Larry Brooks from the New York Post reported that Joe Quinville, even though there was some smoke around him at this time last week, that it sounds like he's not going to be an option for them either. So do you think Laviolette is At this point, early juncture, I know we're kind of playing the guessing game, but is he probably the one who you would think would have the best chance of those experienced guys or someone different?
1: Yeah, um, here's what I can tell you. Joel Quenville, I think, would probably be the Rangers' top target. I mean, chief and foremost, just the experience, but also experience with Panarin and some of his great early years in Chicago were under Joel Quenville. Um, I think the biggest hesitation there and why they're not pursuing him is um, they got the sense from the league that the league is not looking to – yeah you know, Like they need permission from the uh, the league is needs to grant Joel Quenville permission to coach again. Um, he's done a lot of work behind the scenes, specifically with Kim Davis and inclusivity training and learning from some of the mistakes that he made and part of that um pretty awful situation in Chicago that said, um the league's not going to clear him before this playoffs are over. And just in the timeline that the Rangers are on, they couldn't risk waiting for him. So that's going to eliminate him. Daryl Sutter, if you know anyone in Calgary, if you've heard at least one story of the things that were going down in Calgary, That isn't a man that is a dinosaur, quite frankly, the way that he um, treats players, his staff, I don't think has a place in today's game is a bit out of touch. And I don't think he's going to get another opportunity. Um, I, I don't believe it would be in New York. Um, you know, when you think of some of the other rude treads, Bruce Boudreau is a really likable, affable guy. There's a reason he gets hired so many times. There's a reason he's a lifer in this game. He literally is hockey. He was an extra in the movie Slapshot. That's how hockey he was. Uh, he, I think he taught Paul Neiman how to skate or was like, you know, teaching him around. Um, the biggest issue with him is there's really not much structure to his game. He kind of just throws guys out there. You know, if you, if your big criticism was, of Gallant was that there weren't adjustments, I don't think you would expect that from Bruce Bruce so I would be surprised if they went in that direction. And I think by process of elimination, that gives you Peter LaViolette, who, again, has a track record of, of having early success and getting guys accountable. Um, but he's also been to many, many different stops. And there was a reason that Washington wanted to move on from him. One of the critiques of him in Washington was, you know, his inconsistent usage or ability to reach some of the younger players, maybe um, his reluctance to to rely on younger players in key situations. And if you look at where the Rangers are at now, we talk about needing to maximize, um, you know, the kid line and those three guys, specifically Kako, who, you know, and his breakup day talked about expecting top six minutes last year, expecting a bigger role. Lafreniere, who, like Panarin, kind of disappeared when it came to the playoffs. Is this the right guy to reach them? And I think those will be the key questions that the search committee, led probably by Chris Jury, will have to answer.
0: It, it sounds like both of us are kind of I don't want to say dancing around, but we both are maybe of the similar opinion that there really doesn't seem to be a sure-fired guy among these experienced guys that are available. You know, I believe that if, there was any chance that Mike Sullivan were to shake loose from Pittsburgh, that the Rangers would be all over that, but it seems like those odds are very long. I'm curious if you're hearing the same or like, let's say, you know, the Leafs go out sad, which it looks like they might be on their way to doing. Is there any chance that Sheldon Keefe would shake loose? Like, do do you see any other possibilities where maybe a guy with some head coaching experience unexpectedly becomes available and then that could be an option? Or do you think the guys that we're talking about are the guys that are going to be available?
1: Yeah, it's it's always a crapshoot. I think there's always going to be surprises and wild cards, and we haven't seen the way that the rest of these playoffs are going to shake out. It also sometimes gets to be a rush of who hires first and you know, the other teams that do have vacancies, you know, see the Anaheim Ducks. Very different situation than the Rangers are in, but, like, if they go grab a guy, you know, the the dominoes fall. So I'm curious to see um, the urgency that the Rangers have here. Um, I, I, I think because there's not an obvious guy, that could give the rangers an opportunity to surprise us and maybe bring us a name that we haven't considered or or take a risk on a younger name who they believe has that track record um, and, you know, could be able to succeed. Uh, you know, a Jay Leach, for example, who has run a team before an AHL team. Um, you know, right now, if I was handicapping it, I'd put Chris Knoblock right up there. Because, again, his familiarity with the organization, because he has been a head coach before, um, seems really well prepared, had a little stint in Philly as well, you know, as an interim. So, you know, has that NHL experience. And when it comes to Mike Sullivan, I mean, Many people in the game would say that is the best coach coaching today, um, you know, when it comes to getting the most out of his guys, when it comes to coming up with a game plan, he's very demanding on his assistants, very demanding on his players, but you see the results, especially, you know, the cards that he's been dealt in Pittsburgh, where he really, you know, the cupboard's pretty bare outside of their, their top guys who have had a lot of past success, Um Fenway Sports Group, who bought the Penguins, are absolutely in love with Mike Sullivan. They gave him what was pretty unprecedented at the time, an extension when he still had two years left on their deal. You see, they obviously prioritized him over the management group. You know, I think at the end of the season, there was a very fractured relationship between Ron Hextall and Mike Sullivan. And you see what side the ownership group fell on. So I think, you know, we still don't know who's going to be running that team, but I think he's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of sway in Pittsburgh. Um, Maybe the Rangers would... Uh, you know an offer they can't refuse and they'd have to work it out with the penguins to be able to pry him from there I, I i think mike you know who had been in new york previously as an assistant would love the opportunity to coach for the rangers but um i, I think that one's pretty far fetched at this point
0: yeah so basically it sounds like we're gonna have to wait and see this could drag out for a while i love sounds like maybe a couple of the early front runners if you're handicapping it but I still think it's way too early for us to declare anybody as a favorite or a front runner or anything like that. You know, some people have asked me, we've talked about guys that are either NHL assistants or have come up through the minor leagues. And I think if they don't go with a proven guy, that is probably the next most likely route. People have asked me, you know, would they look at a college coach? Would they look at a European coach? My sense is that that is not something that many NHL teams do. And the Rangers probably aren't going to take that risk either, unless you feel any differently. So it, 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 you think we're kind of on at least the temporary right track right now for for where we're at?
1: Yeah. I mean, the last couple college coaches that were hired, all flamed out in their first stops for a different reason. Um, obviously one was David Quinn, Dave Haxtell, and Jim Montgomery. No. Jim Montgomery, Dave Haxtell still coaching in these playoffs. Um, David Quinn, you know, we don't have to <laughs> re-litigate what went wrong in New York. Um, I, I, I think that um, in general, that that's a trend that I don't see a lot of teams like really harping, you know, are, are seeking right now. European, I've long believed that that's an area that the NHL has a complete blind spot to. You see how many Europeans are in the game today. Ricard Gronborg, for a long time, was like the martyr. He was like, look at all of the Swedes in the league now that are successful. He's coached all of them. He's had success as a head coach over there. Why was he not getting looks? His agent brought him over to North America, introduced him to all these front offices, and nobody was interested. No one gave him a bite. They said, you know, you have to take an assistant coach job first. You have to take an AHL job first. Um, And because of that, I feel like there's just this reluctance, you know, again, it's a risk averse league from doing something outside the box. Um, I'd love to see an organization go that route. I think there's so much talent over there in Europe. I think they view the game a little bit differently. I think the coaching style is different. I think it could be an added value to this league to get that outside perspective. Um, But given where the Rangers are, given the fact that they do expect, you know, to contend next year, I don't see them making as quote unquote risky of a move like that.
0: All right, Emily, I've taken up enough of your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been super informative. Hopefully we'll do it again down the line, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your playoffs. you got a long way to go still.
1: I appreciate that, Vince. I wanted to wish you like a nice, long, easy summer, but coaching searches, I know, uh, kind of eat up your time. So keep killing it. You did a great job with your coverage this year. Every year I follow you, you just crush it more and more. So always happy to chat with you.
0: Really appreciate that, Emily. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to keep the phone uh, uh, at least available for the foreseeable future. So can't put that thing away quite yet.
1: All right. You're the best, Vince.
0: And we're back. Emily is the best. I want to thank her again for coming on the show today. Always insightful. insightful. Always filled with information and gave us a lot more to process and digest as we continue along the lines of this coaching search. I'm sure we're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks, maybe even the coming months. And I will get a little bit more into it in some of these questions that I'm about to answer for you guys right here. But I tried to lean a little more away from the coaching stuff since we've already spent so much time on that. And diversify it a little bit here. So let's dive right in because I do have to get rolling in a little bit. And we'll start with this question from Andy Parrish who wrote, The big question is, was this playoff performance the outlier or was it last year's performance? The coaching change makes me think Drury feels this year was the anomaly. Which do you think it is? That view determines how the club should move forward. Well, Andy, we laid out a lot of the things in the first half of the show about where things went wrong, what some of the perceived deficiencies were with Gallant and how the Rangers need a coach that will help them get to the next level. And what does that next level look like? What, to your point, is the issues that would have made maybe last year's playoff run feel like a little bit more of an outlier? Well, I wrote about this pretty extensively on Monday, and I definitely want to emphasize some of the key points here. If you look at the Rangers under Gerard Gallant, I don't want to diminish everything that happened because obviously the Rangers were a very good team on his watch. But what were the strengths of this team? Well, it starts clearly with goaltending. We know that Igor Shusterkin has been the absolute backbone for this team for the last two seasons. He won the Vesna two seasons ago, was hands down the team MVP, hands down their most important player. And this year, we saw what happened early in the season. He wasn't quite at that same level. He was up and down. He had some hot streaks. He had some cold streaks. And the Rangers weren't as effective in the regular season. But once he turned it around late in the year, he reminded everybody just how good he can be. You heard him on last week's episode with his exit interview, where he said next year is going to be a different Igor. And I don't doubt him after the way that we saw him finish the season. He was really good in the last month or so of the regular season, and he was awesome in the playoffs. I've told you guys that I think he was the best player on either side in that series against the Devils. He still has the best save percentage, the best goals saved above average the best goal saved above expectation of any goalie in this year's playoffs, even though he's played fewer games than a lot of them who are still alive right now. So Igor was outstanding in that series against the Devils. He was the the one guy who you felt like showed up pretty much every game. And he is their biggest reason for hope moving forward. But that also goes to show that having a goalie like that might have allowed the Rangers to get away with slippage in other areas of their play. So if the goaltending was the number one strength under Gerard Gallant, which I don't want to take too much away from Gerard Gallant here, but I don't think we're giving him a whole lot of credit for that. Igor gets the credit and goalie coach Benoit Allaire gets the credit on that. Gallant would openly tell you that he had pretty much nothing to do with the goalies. While the other thing that the Rangers were good at while Gallant was here was special teams. Their power play was one of the top power plays in the league two seasons ago. They were once again top 10 this season. And we know that when they were clicking, that group looked like it could be lethal. And the penalty kill was also largely good while Gallant was here. So the Rangers were certainly an above-average special teams team under Gerard Gallant. So when you factor in really good goaltending and you factor in good special teams— Well, that can be a recipe for success, especially in a game where there's a lot of penalties. But the majority of most games is played at even strength, at five on five. And if you take a look under the hood, that's where we find that the Rangers have not been very good in the last two seasons. They've been, I think, middle of the pack, mediocre largely. And if you look at this season... I referenced this in my story on Monday. According to Natural Stat Trick, the Rangers were the 22nd ranked team in the league at 5 on 5 expected goal rate. Compare that to the teams that are still alive in the playoffs right now. 6 of them ranked in the top 10 in the league in expected goal rate this season, and the other 2 teams were in the top 16. So nobody was in the 20s like the Rangers were and I think moving forward, that has to be perhaps the number one priority, the number one challenge for any new coach. How do you take all of this talent and morph them into a better team at even strength? You look at a lot of the Rangers' top players, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox, Chris Kreider. Those guys do a lot of their damage on the power play, and that's great. You want guys that are going to cash in on those opportunities, but when the Rangers power play went cold in that series against the Devils, their entire team went cold. They couldn't muster any offense at all. They scored two game, I mean two goals, I'm sorry, in their four losses. So, they need to get better at generating offense at 5 on 5, and that's a real challenge because you've got players who are really effective in situations where they have a lot of time and space to work with in situations where they have enough room to maneuver and make some of this highly skilled plays that guys like Panarin and Fox are capable of making but the rangers need to get better at creating those same high danger scoring chances when the ice is tighter especially in the playoffs where we know the intensity ramps up the forechecking ramps up a lot of the teams you're going to see are really fast hounding kind of teams Well, the Rangers don't seem to do very well in that environment from an offensive perspective, and that needs to change moving forward. And I think that when you look at whether last year was the outlier as far as the playoffs were concerned, or this year was the outlier, I lean a little more toward last year as far as the sustainability for the Rangers to become a team that can compete with the fastest teams in the league, like the Devils, like the Colorado Avalanche, some of the top, top teams in the NHL, I think they need to become a better team at five on five. And I think that that is something that was identified by the front office. And that's something that is going to fall very much on the shoulders of whoever the new coaches. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from... Do you think anyone off the 22-23 regular roster other than the unrestricted free agents and possibly Goudreau is not going to be on the Rangers come October? And I'm actually going to mix in two questions here because I feel like they're similar topics, but I want to address them both separately. So that first one came from Sonny. The next one comes from Peter Fontana, who wrote, "Well, he's a cap option to trade, Goudreau sounds like the kind of player the Rangers need more sprinkled throughout their lineup to offset the skill and increase the four check plus intangibles of a cup winner, plus his versatility, etc. Does trading him make a bigger hole than the money helps? Well, Peter, I want to start with you because I think that's a good question because the Rangers do need more of some of the elements that Goudreau brings, but the problem is, You're paying a fourth liner $3.6 million when your cap situation is extremely tight, probably the tightest salary cap situation that the Rangers have been looking at at any time during this flat cap era since COVID hit. So if you can find a guy who can bring the type of skill set that Goudreau brings at a more reasonable price – And then take some of that money and spend it elsewhere to add speed and four check and some of the stuff that we're talking about into the lineup. Well, I think that's something the Rangers will have to strongly consider. And when you look at the rest of this team, as far as the no movement clauses are concerned, there's not a whole lot of options. You know, some people have questioned whether or not the Rangers might consider dealing Ryan Lindgren. He's a guy that makes $3 million, but paying $3 million for a top pair defenseman is a bargain. Paying $3.6 million for a fourth-line center, that feels like an overpay. And so while I believe that the Rangers would love to keep Barclay Goudreau, I don't necessarily think if they do consider trading him that it's a knock on the player himself. It's more of a knock on the contract and the salary cap situation. And going into this offseason, I'm actually writing a story right now where I'm going to lay this all out in some detail. But going into this offseason... The Rangers are looking at less than $12 million, about $11.75 million to spend, and they have to fill what I think likely will be eight spots with that money. So that is very little money per player if you're averaging it out. It's like less than a million and a half dollars per player that you have to spend. So when you factor in that they have to pay Keandre Miller and they have to pay Alexi Lafreniere, who are both restricted free agents this summer and those guys are going to cost more than a million and a half dollars each to keep, you have very, very little money to spread around elsewhere. And if the Rangers do feel like they need to make some substantial changes to this lineup beyond just bringing up a couple prospects on entry-level contracts, then they're going to need to make a hard decision. And I do think that my sense, and from what I've heard, Gaudreau might be the most vulnerable. But I see your point, Peter. You know, we've talked about the Rangers needing more of an in-your-face presence, needing more guys that can play a different style and give the Rangers a different look from the finesse skill players like Panarins of the world. So I do think that, that that's a big part of this and the team speed stuff that we've talked about. That's a big part of what they're going to be looking to add this summer. And unless they can get really creative in a way that I'm not seeing to do it, then I do think that makes a guy like Goudreau vulnerable, even though, again, I think that they would love to keep him if they could. And now to Sonny's question about anybody else on the regular roster, I don't know. Again, the no movement clauses are going to be really prohibitive when it comes to that. So Panarin can't be moved unless he agrees to it, highly unlikely. Truba can't be moved unless he agrees to it, highly unlikely. Zabanajad, same thing. Kreider, same thing. Trocheck, same thing. Those guys are all no-movement guys. And then you've got Adam Fox and Igor Shesterkin as some of your next highest-paid players, and you're certainly not moving either one of those guys either. So what options are you left with if you want to make more substantial changes to this roster? Very few. I just talked about it. It's probably Goudreau and Lindgren, because anybody else, their salary really isn't substantial enough to make a big difference. So I do think that the chances of them kind of running it back with this roster minus maybe Goudreau and then they use that 3.6 to try to find a couple of hidden gems either in free agency or via trade who can make this look like a faster, better forechecking team. So that would be my hunch right now, but I also have told you guys before that I'm kind of at the point now where A more substantial change wouldn't shock me. And if they were going to entertain dealing any of the young guys, now might be a more likely time than at any previous time I felt. I still don't think that the chances are very high of that happening. But if a team came along and tried to blow them away with an offer for Alexi Lafreniere and they felt like it opened up a whole lot of other possibilities and brought back a haul that they could do a lot with, I wouldn't completely rule that out. I just still think that it's most likely that Lafreniere is back on this team next year. And the team looks fairly similar with just a couple, what you hope will be strategic tweaks that improve the team in some of the areas that we've spoken about. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from Matt, who wrote, Do you think the Rangers will prioritize getting Panarin going or Lafreniere going when looking for their next coach? Two different players with very different styles of play. Hard to believe a coach will be able to reach both of them. Well, Matt, I think they're certainly searching for a coach who they believe can reach both of them. I don't think it's going to be an either or situation unless there's a huge surprise and one of those guys get traded. But again, Panarin has a no-movement clause. And Lafreniere, I think the Rangers would absolutely have to get blown away to consider doing that deal. They're certainly not going to sell low on him at this point. I think there is some frustrations as far as his overall development and as far as the skating stuff that we've talked about and as they want to get faster that's why I say it's not 100% no for me when you're talking about the possibility of trading Lafreniere, but it's a long shot unless it's something really, really significant that they get back. So my expectation is that both of those guys will be on the team next year, but it is absolutely going to be a high priority for whoever the next coaches to unlock the potential of those two players, especially come playoff time. We talked in the first question that came from Andy about the overall team and the need for whoever the new coach is to make them a better squad at five on five and give some Igor some help in front of him. But as far as the individuals are concerned, I think Panarin and Lafreniere are very high on the list of players that the new coach is going to need to work with and need to help them figure some stuff out. And it's certainly not an either or situation. I think it's a both situation. And it's not so much about style of play as much as it is about figuring out how do you make those guys more comfortable. In Lafreniere's case, and in the case of all the young players on this roster, you can throw Capo Caco in there, Keandre Miller, Braden Schneider. With all of those young guys, I still think that development has to be an important part of this equation. Obviously, the Rangers are trying to win right away, and so they're not looking for a guy who's going to strictly come in and be focused on the young guys and sort of forget about the older guys. I think that would be a mistake, but I do think this new coach needs to be able to make these kids blossom, and I think part of that is going to have to come from giving them more opportunities. I see some questions in here with people asking about a top six shakeup. Well, the most likely top six shakeup you're going to see from the Rangers next year is allowing some of these young guys to move up into those roles. We heard Capo Kako talk about it during the exit interviews when we asked him, what do you want to do this summer going into next season to help you take the next step? And he said the biggest thing for him is more ice time, more responsibility, both at five on five and the power play. He made it very clear that he feels like he's ready to move up in the lineup and he wants that opportunity and I think the Rangers are going to need to give it to him because if you look at what happened under Gerard Gallant with the kids especially the kid line they were the third line they were used relatively sparingly compared to a lot of the top players on this team and I'm not comparing them to a guy like Jack Hughes because I think as far as the quality of the player and the overall talent He's certainly a level or two above guys like Lafreniere and Kako, and I don't know if they'll ever quite get to that point. But you look at a guy like Hughes, who has been playing 17, 18, 19 minutes a night for a couple years now, and you see him flourishing. There were some early growing pains, but now you're reaping the benefits of that. The Rangers have still kind of capped their top young players at 13, 14, 15 minutes a night in mostly third line roles. And while you could make the argument that maybe they haven't done everything that they possibly can do to earn it, and you'd like to see them play a little bit better overall and more consistently before you give them top six opportunities, I also think those two things kind of go hand in hand. A player of that caliber, and these were very high draft picks, both Lafreniere and Kako, those guys sometimes need to be challenged, sometimes need to be pushed a little bit out of their comfort zone in order to force them to take the next step, to force them to sink or swim. And given the salary cap restrictions that the Rangers have, it's kind of a necessity at this point. It might not be the most comfortable situation for a team that looks at itself as a Stanley Cup contender, but if they're ultimately going to get there, they're going to need more out of Lafreniere and Kako in particular. Philip Hedel we felt like, took a little bit more of a step than those other guys, and in his situation, because of the depth that the Rangers have at center with Mika Zibanejad and Vincent Trocek, it's not quite as necessary for Hedel to be ready to jump into the top six. But at least one of either Lafreniere or Kako is going to need to play in the top six. And it looks most likely for Kako, given the lack of right wing depth that the Rangers have right now with Kane and Tarasenko both being free agents. So unlocking the potential of those kids still remains a very important part of this new coach's responsibility, as does finding ways to get more out of Artemi Panarin in the playoffs. That is a huge part of this as well. And I don't know if it's a strategic thing, if it's a system thing so much as it is maybe finding better people for him to play with. I, I've thought about this in the last week or so, and I've talked to a few people about it as well. Panarin, his best season with the Rangers came when he had Jesper Fast as his right winger. That's not a highly skilled guy. That's not a high scoring guy. That's a hard working guy who did all the little things that helped create space for Panarin to operate. And part of me wonders if to get Panarin back to that point, you need someone who is going to find ways to open up ice for him and not play such a finesse game. And I do wonder if the Rangers, I think they are going to target players along that line. Foss, by the way, I believe is an unrestricted free agent again this summer. So maybe it even ends up being him or someone else along those lines. I do think that that will be something that the Rangers give serious consideration to. Again, they're looking for more speed, more forecheck, more of those gritty playoff kind of elements that they can add to this lineup. And I think that Panarin might need someone like that to play with, whether his center is going to be Zabanajad, Trocek, Hedl. That's another decision that this next coach is going to have to make, because even though I think it definitely got much better between Panarin and Trocek in the second half of the season, I still feel like we're not quite sure where he fits best. So all of these things are factors in this decision. All of these things, I'm sure, are going to be part of the conversation during the interview process. And all of these things are going to be things that we harp on and analyze and discuss in the lead up to the next season. So there's a lot of stuff here. Improving the team at five on five, getting better performances in the playoffs out of stars, in particular Artemi Panarin, and continuing the growth of the kids going above and beyond what Gerard Gallant was able to do with them, helping them get to the next level, and helping them step into more prominent roles in the lineup. All those things are really, really important for whoever this next coach is going to be, and it might be a little while before we get that answer. With that in mind, I'm going to cut it off and end this week's episode. It ended up being a pretty long one, so thank you all for hanging with me to the end, at least those of you who are still listening Big, big thank you to Emily Kaplan for coming on the show. Even bigger thank you to Jason from Seattle for submitting this week's intro track. And thank you to everybody that participated throughout that process. We're going to get down to picking the actual track now moving forward. And I will definitely have more information for you guys on that in the coming weeks. I will keep you posted on the timing for the next podcast. I told you last week, I want to try to pick a little bit of time in this month of May, where I could catch my breath. And I think anticipating that this coaching search could last a few weeks, I might take a week or two off here. But obviously, as soon as there's something new to talk about, I'll be right back, just like we did with this episode. So stay tuned for more information on that. In the meantime, enjoy your spring The weather is looking beautiful today. I'm certainly going to try to get outside. I think we're going to do a little grilling tonight, which is one of my favorite activities at this time of year. I love you all. I will miss you all in this little bit of time that I might be gone. Although, who knows? (laughs) Maybe I'll be back next week again. We'll have to wait and see. But take care in the meantime. Be well. And I will talk to you all soon.